excited that you're here. This is crazy. This is a lot of people. Thank you for coming. So I'm excited to share with you all. This is such a privilege to be able to share. See, someone else already got up to go move around. It didn't bother a thing. I'm not even going to skip a beat. Um, if you need to get up and move around, you need to shake your feet, whatever you need to do. Okay, I'm going to pray. Did you all have fun today, though? Everybody's had a wild time at the beach and all of that. So that's so great. This is such a privilege to be here with you all. And I really feel so honored that you're here at my workshop. And, uh, and what a joy that it, is, uh, that it is to share with you. So I'm going to just pray and uh, then we'll dive in. Again, oh, first I'm going to just say, sorry, you already closed your eyes, but um, <laughs> that um, I'm again, I'm going to be sharing out of the Amplified version of the Bible. So it's a little bit hard sometimes to follow along with your Bible. What I wish is that we could sit together at a big table and just open our Bibles and open our notebooks together and just spend half a day together in the scriptures and just really look at it, read it, ask good questions. And I'm just sorry that we that we can't do that. And I'm going to be giving you a lot of verses. And I don't, you know, I don't want to bombard you, but then I've got so much I want to share with you. So I'm sorry. But um but I will be sharing out of the Amplified. So if you just want to jot down references, and then, like I said, just listen to the listen to the words of the scriptures. And then if there's something that you want to ask me about or a reference that you missed, don't worry. Uh, anything, you know, just we'll talk. We'll talk later. And tomorrow uh, I'm going to be, it's, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to be around. And I would love to hear your faith stories. And already... A number of you have shared with me your stories and uh, just beautiful conversations. And I love just hearing what God is doing in your life and where you are in your relationship with God and where you've been. And uh, it's just, that is such a, such a blessing to me. So um, with that, we're going to dive in and just follow along as best you can. And, uh, and I'll just going to share from my heart. And Lord Jesus, we are just so grateful to be together. And I really, gosh, I cannot really believe that I'm standing right here right now. I've been praying about this time and thinking about this time. And I've been so blessed as I've been preparing. And uh, I just want to pour that blessing out on every person in this room. And I just ask you to do that, Lord. Because obviously I can't, but you can. Speak to our hearts and give us treasure from heaven. And I know so often we're focused on storing up treasure in heaven. But, and then we get focused on treasure on earth, even good things. But Lord, what do you want to give us from heaven? What is that wisdom that you want to give us? What is that truth that is the seed, that tiny seed, that will sink into the soil of our hearts and just change us forever? Because that's what you do. That's what your voice does. And we just ask you uh, to do that today. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. 
So if you want to open your Bibles, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 7. And, uh, but again, kind of like this morning, I'm going to be telling you a story. A story about a very dusty, a very dusty road. That, uh, so um, this is a chapter that uh, takes place in the town of Nain. Now, I just want to know, how many of you are familiar with Nain? Um, I, <laughs> you know, we call it a mundane Nain, right? So it's just a sleepy little town uh, in the countryside of, of Judea. And it was anything but mundane on this particular day. You see, a good friend of mine, she's a young widow, and she had just lost her only son. He was a young man, but she, as a widow, he was her hope he, for protection, for provision, for the present, and for the future. And he had died suddenly. And so we had gone through all the burial rituals and all of that, you know, the preparations, and, and today was the day that we were burying him. And so he had been wrapped and he had been put on a funeral couch and he was being carried. It was early in the morning and he's being carried by the pallbearers, his friends. And so the funeral procession, we're going out the gates into the, into the cave, the grave. Um, so the funeral procession is headed forward and, and my friend is in front. And of course, she's weeping and the town has come out to weep with her and to support her. And I'm not too far behind her. And so we're walking out the main town, approaching the gate. And as I looked forward, I saw this group of men who were coming toward the gates of Nain. And as a group of strangers, and as anyone would do, they were courteous enough. When they saw that it was a funeral procession, they sort of stepped aside on the road so that we could could go out the gates and go through, uh, out into the countryside. And um, all of them, except for this one man, and this one man, instead of stopping with his entourage, I guess, he just kept coming forward and approached the gate. And he just came right through the gate. And uh, the, the, the pallbearers paused, and everyone sort of paused behind them. And people are, are crying and mourning and you know, it's obviously a very sad situation. And I'm thinking to myself, who, who is this man? And he walks right up to the funeral couch and then right up to my friend. And he looks right at her and he says, woman, do not weep. And I'm thinking, who is this man? And obviously he does not know that she's a young widow that this is her only son, and that she's just lost her hope, her protection, and her provision for the future. But then he turns, and he puts out his hand, actually, and he touches the funeral couch. Well, obviously this man does not observe the rules of Jewish religion, right? Because he would never touch a funeral couch. Any person knows that it makes you unclean and that you would, I mean, you just wouldn't do that unless you had to, unless you were one of the pallbearers. I mean, 
who is this man? But then he actually speaks. And so now my eyes go from wondering what, what are people going to do to what is my friend going to do to the couch? And he says in a clear, loud voice, arise, young man. Who is this man? And we're all stunned in silence and we're looking. And the young man begins to sit up. You might not be believing me right now, but it's true. I saw it with my very own eyes. And the pallbearers instinctively, they just began to bend down to set the couch down on the ground. Luckily, they didn't drop him. I mean, can you fathom the shock that he's starting to actually sit up? <laughs> and then this man reaches down with his hand to kind of help, help this dead man, what do I call him? This dead young man who's not dead, stand. And he gives him back to his mother. Well, what goes through your mind in those few seconds? I mean, just toss out some words. What goes through your mind if you're standing there with me in this crowd? What? <laughs> Am I awake? Am I awake? Right. Shock? What else? What? Faith. What else goes through your mind? There's no way. You know, I just, to pause here, the first time I ever shared this passage with a friend who was on a faith journey who wasn't a believer, you know, we were just in the scriptures together. She looked at me, she goes, you don't really believe that, do you? It's like, hmm, never looked at it that way. Anyway, so he rises up, gives him back to his mother. Everyone is totally shocked and just flabbergasted and in disbelief. But then it begins to soak in that he begins to talk and he is alive. And people, the crowd, because the weeping goes from grief to joy. People are astounded. People are hugging each other. People, some people are praising God, just like you said, God is here, but, but who is this man? And then some people start to run. They go back into the town, right? And to go get, maybe there are people in their shops or people at home. And then the, the, the religious leaders, of course, they're in the our little, you know, synagogue or whatever we have there. Um, and they are Hebrew school. And they are coming, somebody goes in and tells them that there's been a miracle. And they come running out and asking what happened you know, and people are asking questions and people are coming from the town and the whole entourage has, everybody has turned around, headed back into, back into Nain. And I'm just standing there dumbfounded. My friend is hugging her son and wondering, who is this man? And that's exactly what everybody wants to know. And they come and circle around him. And I hear the name of Jesus. I don't really recognize that name. Um, Although I've heard about this man teaching and um, some prophet that's in the countryside, but could this be him? And then I hear the Pharisees beginning to ask him questions. And I stood there for a while and I listened. And, you know, the Pharisees sort of took over, <laughs> kind of like they do. And um, they began to ask him questions. It seemed a little bit heated. And I heard them asking him about John the Baptist and then when they started, um, you know, talking about um, 
is this is this healing uh, demonic or is it from God? And you know, I thought, oh brother, and uh, I think I'll just let them uh, talk this out. And I was hungry, so I just went home and thought, you know, I'm going to go uh, take care of some things at home. And later that day, I was out at the well getting some water and. Uh, some friends of mine said that um, this man, his name was Jesus, that he had been invited by Simon, the Pharisee, to his home for dinner that night. Well, great. I thought, you know, in Nain, now you have to understand that we, um, we're sort of a small community, and Simon just lives kind of right down this dirt, dirt road on my dusty roads again. And if someone's having somebody important for dinner, um, it's not uncommon for some of us to sort of wander down and listen at the window or, you know, you can even sometimes you can slip in to someone's house and just sort of sit off in a corner and uh, and listen to to what's going on. And I thought, boy, that's what I want to do tonight, because I want to go and I want to see and I want to listen and I want to make some my own conclusions. I want to ponder this. Who is this man? And so later that afternoon, before supper time, that's exactly what I did. I headed down that way. And of course, other neighbors were coming and we all, you know, we kind of got there early and the guests were sort of coming from that direction. And so I thought, oh, okay, I, I think I could just kind of slip in and find a spot against the wall. So that, that's exactly what I did. And so as I sat there, I was just watching people coming in and a good friend of mine sat by, sat next to me. And um, I noticed a couple of things that were strange. One is that um, the servants, as they greeted the guests, they, um, they weren't offering some of the customary courtesies. And I looked around and I didn't even see Simon at the door. And, uh, and then when Jesus arrived, you know, I'm just watching this and the, the servants, the common courtesy would be to, to wash the guest's feet just a little bit from the dusty roads, wash off the dust. They didn't do that. And then another common courtesy in Nain is that you would give them a little perfume for their feet so that, you know, close quarters, dinner, everybody's a little smelly. And so you would give someone a little perfume, even if it's just cheap perfume to make the room just smell a little better when people come in for dinner. And they, they didn't do that. And Simon, like I said, Simon, the Pharisee wasn't there in that, in the room at the door greeting people. And normally he would just greet you with a customary kiss, you know, a greeting. That's what we do in Nain. Well, none of that was happening. So this man arrived and some of the men that had been with him that morning and he was, he was shown in to, to a place at the table. And you have a picture of the table. And I wanted to share, I don't, but you do. Um, I just wanted to share this with you, that, that this is how we sit. This, is, this would be our, uh, what, it, what, that ta what that room would look like and where people would be sitting. And so Jesus was there, um, this man and his a few people, they were seated at the, some were seated at the table, but there were other guests too. And then Simon did walk in and just gave a very short welcome. 
And, uh, and then the meal began and the servants began to bring in, to bring in the food. And I thought, well, it's a little odd, but okay. So I'm watching and, uh, and the conversation begins and the food is coming out. And, um, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see that there's movement at the door. Now, everybody in the room is, the room is pretty packed and, Everybody is watching the table, but out of the corner of my eye, I see that someone enters through the door and they're, they're crouched kind of low. And I notice that it's a, that it's a, it's a woman and she's, you know, dressed and she's veiled and everything. And then I just take a second look and I realize, who is that woman? I, oh no, oh no. Now, you see, I hate to have to admit it, but in Maine, we do have kind of a dark and shady area of town. And um, there is a criminal element that exists. I guess it's in all towns, even if it's small. And there are people who just don't follow the laws and they don't follow the rules. And they're not people of faith. And they're ostracized from the religious community. And yet they, they're there. And they, they're in our dark alleys. They're in our... They're in our shadows, and that's exactly who this woman is. She's one of those, and she would never, ever be invited or welcomed into this home. Well, she makes her way in, and she's crouched down low, and she makes her way right over to be right behind this man. Well, I'm horrified, and I'm just expecting at any minute that a servant or Simon or someone is going to kick this woman out, but everyone just stay silent. But the conversation at the table, they continue, and this man continues to talk, act like nothing is, is actually happening. Maybe he just didn't notice. And so we're all watching it. As I do, I realize that she's weeping, that there are tears coming down her face. And then I notice that she's really crying. I mean, it's not just tears coming down her face. And I noticed that her veil is actually soaked. That's gross, isn't it? <laughs> but that's what's happening. And you can see it in her shoulders. You know, when someone is crying, there's a little trembling that you can tell. And then actually she's right at this man's feet and her tears begin to fall on his feet. And I'm thinking, who is this man? No man, even if he doesn't know her, she has a reputation in our town. She is devoted to sin. This is not just someone who's gotten into some kind of trouble and is involved in some kind of racketeering or some kind of thing. This woman is a ringleader in this whole operation of what's going on. And you can only Imagine, I won't go into those details. And so he, she is weeping on his feet. But you know, even if he doesn't know that, I mean, I guess he couldn't. But no man would let a woman he doesn't know come near him like that. And she takes her veil and she reaches out and begins to wipe his feet with it. And the horror is just on everybody's face. But it only, it only gets worse from there because now she's kissing. She's putting kisses on his, 
on his feet. And I'm just mortified. Who is this man who would let this happen? And Simon is staring and everyone, there are other Pharisees and leaders who are there. Everyone is staring at this situation and no one says, no one says a word. Well, she wipes his feet and then from someplace she produces a vial of perfume. And when she opens it, it's obvious. I know the fragrance, even though I don't own any, it's very expensive. And you can, you can smell this, this very expensive perfume. And she puts, it on, she puts it on his feet and he just allows it. Well, after a few moments of, and that's over, I hear this man's voice. And he speaks loud and clear, and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And I'm thinking, I bet you do. I bet, okay, it's either, how did you let this happen? And why haven't you said anything? Or I'm thinking Simon might say, man, I got something to say to you too, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I just don't know. What are people thinking? I'm thinking all kinds of outrageous thoughts. And so Simon says, say it, teacher. And I don't know how to exactly interpret the tone he said that. And, and so then this man begins to speak, and I am just totally shocked. He says, he starts to tell a story, totally unrelated. And he says, Simon, a certain lender of money at interest. Well, everybody, I mean, okay, he's just talking about a loan shark, right? I mean, he's talking about other people that are in those dark shadows of Nain because nobody lends money at interest. That's against the law. And so you would borrow, if you're a, if you're a good person, you need some money, you borrow it from family or friends, or, but you don't borrow it from a loan shark unless you're in trouble. And so he says, there are these two men who have borrowed money from this loan shark. 150, one 100. And they're both obviously in trouble. But the time comes to pay this money back. And neither one of them can pay, can pay the money back. They had no means of paying. Well, the loan shark, a miracle of miracles, the loan shark forgives them both. He just cancels the debt. He takes the slip of paper and he stamps it, that it's paid. Well, and then this man says, now, Simon, which one will love him more? Well, <laughs> Simon sort of paused. <laughs> this is a trick question. <laughs> um, and I wondered, too, I mean, the answer is so obvious, I guess. I don't know. I'm no genius, but... Um, Simon says, well, I suppose the one, he says, the one I take it, that he forgave the most. And Jesus said to him, good job. You answered honestly. <laughs> you got it. You got the right answer. Um, you have decided correctly. And then at this point, he has not even acknowledged this woman. But then from the table... You look on your diagram, he turns his head and he looks at directly at this woman. 
And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Okay, asking the obvious. And then he says, when I came in to your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Oh, did I mention that? I think I forgot to mention the worst part of it. She reached back and let her hair down. We just don't do that, guys. And then she wiped it, his feet with her hair. And she has wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss. But from the time, the moment that she came to me, she has not ceased to kiss my feet tenderly and caressingly. This is very distressing. And you did not anoint my head with cheap or expensive, with, with anything, with perfume when I came in, with oil. But she has anointed my feet with costly perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, many as they are, are forgiven her because she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Well, I am no religious scholar, right? But even I know only God forgives sins. Who is this man? And the people began to murmur. And those at the table, you could hear the whispers. It says they began to say among themselves, Who is this who forgives sins? But then Jesus turns to this woman and he says to her, Woman, your faith has saved you. Who is this man? And what did this woman? You see, I came and I saw and I listened. And I'm totally baffled by this. But she came and she wept and she knelt at his feet. You see, what happened in her heart that did not happen in mine? That did not happen in anybody else's heart in the room that night? Is it possible that these tears wash over her heart in some way with some understanding that none of the rest of us received, that none of the rest of us had. And what happened in Simon's ears and in his eyes and, and what happened in yours and mine? You see, John 1.18, it says that Jesus came, if you want to just write that down, let me just share this with you. This is from the Amplified, that Jesus came to reveal, to explain, and to bring God out where he could be seen. And somehow that night, this one woman in that room saw something that I didn't see. 
Something was revealed to her. Something happened. And is it possible to be in the presence of God, to hear his very words, and to miss, to miss the meaning, to not be moved, and to not be touched? Is it possible for those of us in that room, is it possible for those of us coming to God's word right now, is it possible when we come to God's word, right, to read something that's so familiar that it just doesn't, it just doesn't move me. I just, instead of moving me, I keep moving on, right? Something happened in her life that night. I'm going to turn to Hebrews 4, 11 and 12, and I want to tell you what happened in that woman's life that night. And in verse 11, Again, I'm reading from the Amplified. The author of Hebrews, it might be Paul, we're not sure, but the author of Hebrews says he's talking about faith. He's talking about coming to Jesus Christ. And, and he says, let's be zealous and let's exert ourselves and strive diligently to know and to experience for ourselves this rest that God wants to bring us into through his, through his word. And he says, because the word of God. Okay, Joe's yawning up here. Sorry, Joe. It's okay. Everybody get up and move. I'm not going to pick on you. I'm just teasing you. I'm just waking us up. Um, and so he says, the word of God, that the word that God speaks, it is alive. It is full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, to the very soul and the immortal spirit. Now, this is a lot to take in. I'm not going to expect you to get it on the first round. The joints, the marrow, the deepest parts. That's the deepest parts of my nature. That is the power. That is the intention of the words that God has spoken. To expose, to sift, to analyze, and to judge the very thoughts and the purposes of the heart. And that night, that woman experienced that, didn't she? She felt in the very presence of this man, Jesus Christ, she felt something exposed inside of her, didn't she? She felt something being revealed and sifted and pulled out from the very depths of who she is. But it didn't crush and destroy her, right? It wasn't condemning. It broke her heart. And it changed her life. And Paul, the author of Hebrews, he says, this is what God wants for you and me. This is what he wants us to experience for ourselves. Well, this is wonderful, isn't it? But you know what? I forgot to read to you the very last part of the last verse in Luke chapter seven. Because if you 
were shocked like I was when he said, your sins are forgiven. Well, I'm sorry, but this is going to knock Joe off his chair. Whoa. Whoa. I'm ready. What Jesus said next to her, do you know? He said to her, your faith has saved you. I love that. Right? Your sins are forgiven. That was more of a declaration, right? When he said, your sins are forgiven. She didn't ask. She didn't say anything. He declared it. He gave it. But then he says, now go and enter into peace. The freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin. Just stop and think about that for a minute. To enter into peace, to enter into a place of freedom from all the distresses that are the result of sin in a person's life. You see, this This is the greeting of the gospel that Jesus told the disciples to give. Peace when you're received. Freedom from all the distresses that are the consequence or the result of sin in your life. Now, how many of us would say, oh, I've got that, right? I walk in that peace every single day. Like I am totally free from all the distresses that are the result of sin in a person's life. Well, not me. I'm not raising my hand. Um, I'm just going to say, this is the invitation of a lifetime, you guys. This is the invitation of a lifetime. Of course, it starts with forgiveness. Of course, it starts with what Jesus Christ is going to do on the cross for this woman. And of course, it starts with that invitation, that, that declaration that you are forgiven. But that's not the end of it. This invitation, I'm just wondering if you are wondering what on earth he meant by that and how that's possible. I think it sounds pretty outrageous. I think that it sounds ludicrous because I want to know what did he do for her? Um, He said, go. Go where? Go home? What home? Where is this woman going? Where does she live? Has she been ostracized from her family uh, long, long ago? Does she live in the back alley somewhere with other people who are, who are just like her? What kind of relationships has she broken? What kind of relationships does she have? What, what world of, of judgment and, and evil and, you know, she's, She's a notorious sinner. I mean, this is awful stuff that she's involved in. What kind of people is she running around with? She's probably good friends with the loan shark in the story. I don't know, but he says, go. Where is she going to go? Is he going to fix her relationships? Are people going to forgive her? Is life just suddenly going to be different? What does Jesus mean when he extends that invitation to you and me? This is God's will for me. This is what God wants us to do, is to enter into 
this place of freedom. So I'm going to turn to 1 Peter 5.14. Does anybody need to stand up? Maybe get a sip of water. Feel free if you're feeling kind of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Take a quick break. Yeah, please. It's, you know what, it is that out, that time, isn't it? That afternoon of, um, of uh, scary stuff. And I'm just wondering, the ocean is draining. The, ocean is draining. <laughs> like, um, the clock says it's 3.20, but it's not. I don't know what happened to that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. We're taking the little stretch. Is this good? I know. <laughs> we'll wait for a few people to get back from the bathroom. I know. Just feel free. Get up. Move. Yay. Uh -huh. <laughs> Is this good? Take a break. Really? Initially? Yes. Uh, and then, I don't know if you guys believe me. No, I was like, hold on. Are you like some long last, like, 2,000 year old mountain? Oh, yeah. Did I, did I fail to mention I'm going to tell the story through the eyes of a woman in the Bible? No. I got you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's funny. <laughs> Okay, we'll wait just a minute. Are you all hot too? No. Actually, don't feel that hot. You don't? It's unusual. I normally feel warm. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know what we would do if we were hot. I guess we could. I guess we could open the door. I'm fine as long as you all. You know. I'm warm blooded, so I tend to be. Sam says that you guys can't be hot because he's not hot. I like that. Or Samuel? Do you go by Samuel or Sam? I'm cool either way. I think myself is Samuel, but I don't care. Do you? I love that. Yeah. Okay, Samuel. Okay. His name is Samuel. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Where's your Arkansas? Arkansas. Arkansas. Oh, wow. Cool. I don't have an accent. That's okay. Okay. Okay, you guys, are you ready? So what I want to do, <laughs> Joe's not back. I hope Joe's, Joe's going to be okay. <laughs> Somebody fill Joe in. I don't want to hurt his feelings that we started without him. Um, but um, so I just want to share with you some thoughts about peace. 
I want to share with you some thoughts about this invitation that Jesus made that night. That actually, I don't know if you've read this story before. And if you thought these same things, if you just fell off your chair and wondered, what on earth was Jesus talking about? And I just want to challenge you as you read the scriptures to ask those, think about things like that. And ask those kinds of questions instead of, was this just a sweet, happy ending, right? You know, the story, everybody goes home and everybody's happy and lives happily ever after. Or was this for real? Did Jesus really invite you and me and this woman to enter into freedom from the distresses that are caused as a result of sin in our lives? So I'm going to share this with you. If you want to write it down, 1 Peter 5.14, but just listen to these words because Peter, when he ends his letter, this is what he says. He extends, he says, I, I pray for you, to all of you, that you would have peace. And in the Amplified, it says, peace with God which is, and he defines it with these three things. Freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. Okay, now we're sort of on shaky ground here, right? It's getting a little bit personal. Um, so if you want, want to talk about fear, okay, we can all probably all talk about fear, right? <clears throat> we're all experiencing fears. <clears throat> and Everybody does. It's just a part of the DNA. It's one of the, it's one of the first emotions that is in Genesis, right? And they heard God's footsteps and they were afraid. And so that's where it begins. So we can talk about, about fear. I've got, I've got all kinds of fears. Um, and, and so I'm on pretty safe ground, you know, sharing with you. And we live in a world where this fear just I mean, let's just talk, let's just talk about this fear of COVID that fell like a shadow of darkness across the whole globe. And it disrupted all of your lives, right? And it disrupted your families. And maybe some of you lost relatives. I don't know. I have friends who's, who lost relatives to COVID. Um, this fear that just sort of covered the globe, it was like something that we have never We've never anticipated or never imagined. It's not, it's just, you know, a once in a life. But what is it? The black swan, right? Okay, good. I like that. And so we all understand uh, the kind of fear that fell all across the world. But, you know, have I mentioned that we've got um, this mad dictator, whatever you want to call him, who might drop a nuclear bomb on Europe? Uh, he's been threatening to do that. I don't know if you heard about the locusts that were swarming across Africa and the famine. That wasn't all that long ago. Um, we've got all kinds of crazy, right, balloons flying over the country, threatening to do this or that. I don't know that anybody understands that for sure. But um, so we understand fear. And then they're just the daily things. Fear, um, of things that are that are more personal than that, but we're all 
understanding fear, aren't we? Are we supposed to be over? Oh, gosh. We're not even close. Okay, um, I got to hurry up. So, um, but then he says freedom from fear. And then he says agitating passions. Now, hey, Joe, we're waiting on you. Um, so agitating passions. Well, that's, you know, I'm a Christian, so I'm not supposed to have agitating passions. But I just want to say, what are the passions inside the longings that you have? The things that you really want. You want a job. You want an education. There are good passions, right? There are good things inside of you. And at times, do they just agitate? Do you ever feel that way? And if somebody look, looks like somebody's going to block it, whoa, then we really get, we really get going and we really get agitated. If it looks like I'm not going to get what I want or if I don't get what I want, what I think I need, what I have to have, right? Whether it's a relationship or some, a, a new car or a student loan or whatever that might be, the agitation, agitating passions, the things that wake you up in the middle of the night, right? And you're like, I, I didn't mean to go. I didn't go to bed worried about this, but I certainly woke up agitated over it, right? And so um, the agitating, the things that are turning, the things that are turning inside, would you like to have freedom from that? Hmm, me too. So, and then the moral conflicts. Well, I'm certainly not supposed to have that, but you know what? I'm supposed to have that area of my life under control, right? After 50 years. <laughs> no. No, every day you're facing something. You're making a decision about some area of being honest or transparent or telling all the truth or part of the truth or some other decision that you might be making. And you're, you're feeling that tension inside about, a, about something. And so Jesus, freedom from these things. Peter says, this is the kind of peace that Jesus was offering. This is that invitation into peace. I want to share another definition, and I'm going to go over to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And um, you can just write that down. And this is an outrageous, this is a really outrageous uh, advice from Paul to the Philippians. And he says, hey, he says, uh, I don't want you to fret or have anxiety about anything. Oh, come on. <laughs> Do you ever read that and go, sure, that's crazy. I don't live in that kind of world, right? Even if I turn on my computer, is your computer a source of peace for you and freedom? It's craziness. And you're bombarded with it constantly, aren't we? The voices that are yelling at us. Oh, his eyes are big. I love it. Yeah. Don't fret or have anxiety about anything. Okay, everybody, thanks. Great workshop. Bye. Oh, good. I'm so glad she gave us that advice. And he says, um, it's a great place to conclude. You know, he says, don't, in every circumstance, you're just supposed to be praying and thanking God and just be a really happy, go lucky, right? That's what knowing Jesus is all about. Um, and then, but then it gets, it gets worse in these verses. I, I just want to say, and he says, if you'll do that and you talk to God about everything, but he says, if you'll do that, then God's peace, the tranquil, the tranquil state of soul, a tranquil state of soul. 
Doesn't that sound wonderful? Do those words just wash over you? A tranquil state. How many people do you know that you would describe them if they said, tell me about your friend so-and-so, that you would use the words a tranquil state of soul? Wow. Well, then he talks about what that means. Three things. Assured of your salvation. In other words, you know that you are his and he is yours. That there is absolutely no doubt that you never ask if the cross was enough. Right? You never feel guilt. You never feel shame. You never replay the tape of something that happened. You don't live in regret. Assurance of salvation through Christ. I am his and he is mine. And then you're fearing nothing from God. What does that mean? It means that in my relationship with God, there is absolutely no fear that I am vulnerable before him, that I can reveal, I'm not afraid of what he sees in my entire human personality, right? That I fear nothing from God. And then, oh, this is the worst, content with your earthly circumstances, whatever your lot might be. Ooh, (laughs) furrowed brow, (laughs) Joe, I love you. (laughs) Thanks, thanks for being my go-to. And so um, anyway, just to make us chuckle, so content with whatever it is, it is a peace that transcends all understanding. It is something I can't give you. I can't explain it. I can't make it happen in your life. I really wish I could, because if I could, I wouldn't start with you. I'd start with my kids. Then we'd move out to you. But I can't do that, right? It's a peace that transcends all understanding. And then it is this freedom that guards. It's this peace that guards your mind. It guards the things you're thinking. It guards the the tapes that are playing. And when the wrong things are going, when, the, when things are bombarding you through social media or whatever, you recognize it, right? It's this peace that guards, that guards that. It guards your heart and it guards your mind. Well, I think that this is one of the craziest verses in the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever read it and wondered what on earth, how on earth, Well, I'm going to turn over to Romans chapter four. And do you all mind if we, if we keep going? Because um, you might miss brownie, more brownies. Is that okay? Okay. Yes, you can. You can get up and go get brownies if you want to. It won't hurt my feelings. They were good. I did have one. And so um, in Romans, so Paul is talking about, uh, the what Jesus Christ has done for us and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And, you know, Paul is really hard to understand. I don't know how many of you have studied through the book of Romans. I don't know how many of you have studied and just slogged your way through Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. They are such powerful chapters, but they're just full of, of mystery and 
crazy, crazy things. And so I just want to throw that out there. But he says, Jesus died in, in the end of Romans 4. He says, Jesus died to balance my account, to absolve me from all guilt. And then he goes into chapter 5. Even Peter said that Paul was hard to follow. Did you know that? Peter goes, I mean, come on. He was a Pharisee, right? And so um, we're justified. We're acquitted. We're declared righteous. We're giving this right standing with God through faith. And then Paul reaches out and he grabs me by the shoulders. Jenna, do you mind if I use you? And he grabs Jenna by the shoulders and he says, Patricia, do you actually grasp this fact? Do you really understand the peace that Jesus Christ has given you with God? This reconciliation? To hold it. Are you holding it? Are you enjoying it? It is this peace with God that gives you access to God 24-7. You know that nobody in the Old Testament really had that? Until we get to Zechariah chapter 3, and that's a chapter that will just blow your socks off. And God gives this access to Jeshua, the priest. Okay, but that's beside the point. So this access to God by faith into this grace, there's a lot of, a lot of words here. To be firmly and safely standing in that. And let us rejoice and exult in this hope. And let us experience the joy of the glory of God. Would I say that that's what's happening in my life daily? I am rejoicing in the joy of God's glory. Well, okay. And then he says, now this, the glory of God is going to be full when we get to heaven, right? But he says, this is right now though too. This is joy right now. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He said, let us exalt and triumph because we are walking on a dusty road and I'm not going to make any bones about it. It is full of troubles and there are going to be times of sufferings. And I just want to be sure that you know that my life has not been horrible. <laughs> I shared some of those building blocks of faith earlier today, and they're pretty rough, right? God has had, I mean, there have been fabulous times too, and I'll be glad to tell you about those too and the joys. I would love to. But there will be times of trouble, and there will be times of suffering, and many of you have shared already with me things that have happened in your story and in your life as well. There will be times of pressure and affliction, and hardship. This is going to happen, but Jesus Christ has invited us into this peace. It's a peace right now. It's a freedom from the distresses that are the result of sin. It's not just sin in my own life, right? It's sin in other people's lives as well. I've been the victim of other people, and I've also been the victim. You didn't make COVID, did you? You didn't, you didn't create it, but you've suffered under it. We've been the victim. We've, we've suffered under circumstances that were caused by who knows what, right? And so 
it's not just my own sin. It can be the sin of others. It can be just the broken sin of this world that impacts my life. It can be all these things. And he says, but we can have a habit of joy. A habit of joy? (sighs) Pretty outrageous words. And we can have a hope that will never disappoint, delude, shame you. Think about the times when you've hoped in something and you've been disappointed and you've been let down and you've been betrayed by something and your hopes have been crushed. And that's really a painful place, isn't it? And Paul says, we're not talking about that from God. Now, a lot of people feel that way from God, don't they? I tried God and he didn't work. The Bible says this hope will not disappoint, delude, or shame us. But this is the key. This is the key. That God's love is poured out through his Holy Spirit into your heart. And that is the mystery. And that is what transcends all understanding. Well, now I'm really on shaky ground to pour out the love of God. It all starts with the love of God. For God so loved the world. That is not just a sweet song. That is not just a sweet verse. That is the absolute truth that he would give his one and only son. And so this love, that's where it starts. And it is poured out into your heart and my heart only through God's Holy Spirit. I just want to take a minute to talk about the last night of Jesus Christ on earth. And we're familiar with that. And that's up in the upper room, right? And they've had, he's washed their feet. And... He waits until the last night on earth to talk about the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's so important, why do we wait till the last night? Right? And why this night is just unbelievable. And I'm going to fly through this. It is the darkest hours on earth are starting. It's dark outside, but that is nothing compared to what's coming in these next days, these next few days. The darkest hours of earth are starting on this night. And Jesus, they, he and his disciples, they are in the room in the very presence of Satan. Do you realize that? Satan is right there in that room. Satan is influencing, and I'm just going to assume that he brought some demons with him. I mean, this is, this is a horrible moment. And wherever Satan is, there is confusion. And I just want to tell you, and you have to ask him about this too. As he was growing as a leader, and in his I think at one point, God Satan is right there in this room. On this last night on earth with his disciples, and just before the darkest hour Jesus decides to talk about his Holy Spirit. 
And he knows that Satan is getting ready. It says that Satan has asked God for permission to tempt and to sift all of these disciples and try to destroy their faith. Can you imagine? And Jesus doesn't say that God said no. Have you ever thought about that? He says, I have prayed that your faith will not fail. But when Jesus asks God for something, he usually gets it. And so Satan is getting ready to attack the disciples in, their, in this situation. Jesus himself is troubled and agitated. Now, I am going to fly through John 13 through 17 really quickly with you. And I just want to ask you, if you've never studied these chapters with someone, grab someone and study through these chapters and ask, your, ask what is he talking about? But this is, Jesus is troubled and agitated in chapter 13, 21. Can you imagine that he, that, that he knows that there's confusion in the room. He knows that the disciples are not going to understand what he's even talking about. And they don't. And it's fascinating because he says, there's someone here who's going to betray me. And of course, what do the disciples do? Does anybody know really quick what the disciples do? That's right. I'm looking at you and I'm going, it's got to be you. Right? I'm pointing at you. It's got to be you. It's not going to be me. And they start making these claims about faith and loyalty and courage. You know what? They even accuse each other. Wow. Jesus starts talking. And the conversation, it's not like when you're a pastor or somebody gives a message. It's, and I sort of am more like, more like this where it's all over the place. But anyway, so, but the conversation is, is between, between people, between, it's, it's not a message that just sort of builds, right? And it just, and here's the formula. That's not how this goes. This conversation in these chapters, it weaves in and out. It weaves between hope and despair, between light and darkness. It weaves between Satan and God. It's the craziest conversation when you really step back and look at this. And the disciples are totally confused and everything Jesus says goes right over their heads. And Jesus says, I'm leaving. And they go, where are you going? And he says, well, you know the way. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We don't know the way. We don't know what you're doing. What do you mean we won't be able to see you? And then the craziest thing is that Philip cries out, okay, this is enough. This is hard. Jesus, and when you really stop and think about what Philip said that night, Philip says, just show us God the Father and it'll be enough. Like, we don't get what you're talking about. And yeah, this has been great. And you're saying all this stuff. And, um, but why don't we just all go to heaven, go see God, and then we'll have it. This will be, this will be enough. And you know what Jesus does, right? He turns to me, goes, really? He turns to Philip and goes, really, Philip? Have I honestly been with you so long? And you don't know who I am? But you know what? There's just this spirit of confusion. Do you ever feel the spirit of confusion in our lives? 
on the Christian life? Like, what is this all about? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to live this? Sorry, let me just fit. So, Jesus, then he tells them, he said, are you really just so clueless, Philip? Then he tells them, our relationship is going to change right now. For starting tonight, what does that mean? There's going to be prayer. You haven't had to pray because you've had me all this time. There's going to be prayer. Talks about the Holy Spirit. There's going to be this indwelling. And they are so agitated. If you go through there and look at the verses where it says that they are agitated and they are overwhelmed in the Amplified, it really brings that out. And Jesus, at one point, he actually turns to them and he says, are you really so cowardly and intimidated and unsettled and disturbed? He can just feel it. Have you ever just felt that when you're in a room with someone or in your own heart? And Jesus tells them, he actually says to them, stop it. Stop it. Stop, no. Stop allowing. Chode into it. Stop allowing. Stop allowing us. And then he starts in again. And he starts talking about this abiding relationship. You know John 15. You know it's in the context of this crazy night. We go, oh, this is such a sweet story, right? The vine, the branches. And Jesus is saying, you know, you guys are so clueless. I'm just trying to come up with something that maybe you will be able to comprehend. Maybe it will be familiar enough and you'll get it. They don't. They don't at all. But he starts talking about the vine and the branches and the abiding and this relationship straight over their head. And finally, I feel like, now, Jesus just kind of goes, you know what? The Holy Spirit is going to have to bring all this to your remembrance because I'm just looking around this room thinking, there's no way. I know it, I know it, but the Holy Spirit will bring all this back to your remembrance. So just going to speak it, and then John will write it, and that'll be that. And so then Jesus says, then he weaves back out, right? He gets back out of John 15, and he says, you know what? There's going to be persecution. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be rejection, and it's starting right now. And I feel like the longing of Jesus' heart is that if there was any way, that I could spare you from this night, I would. And from these next days, I would. Because he says, you are going to be possessed by sorrow. Possessed by sorrow. That's really something, isn't it? And I feel like Jesus knows, if I could spare you from this, I would, but I can't. There is no other cup. There is no other way. When Jesus talked to God about it in the garden, he said, God the Father, is there any other way? And God said, no. This is the way. This is the cup. And then Jesus pauses, and he knows that the Spirit is going to hold them now and in the future. And then Jesus stops and he says the sweetest thing. Have I mentioned that the Father himself tenderly loves you? Did I mention that? And he weaves that message through this night. Do you see what a crazy, volatile, 
emotional, chaotic evening it is, and all of it going right over them. And then at the very end, Jesus says, I will be victorious, and I will conquer. And that is my promise to you. And I promise you that the day will come when you will experience joy, and you will experience my pleasure, and you will know the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, out of this flows the prayer of the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to go there. I'm going to go for it in Ephesians. And this is the craziest prayer. Um, this is so outrageous in the book of Ephesians. And it's, <clears throat> it's in Ephesians chapter 3. And he says that, he says, you know, we've got to dare to come with boldness to God and approach God with freedom. That's what Jesus said, right? In Luke chapter 7, verse 50, I invite you, the invitation of a lifetime, into this freedom. And Paul says, I'm praying this, I'm praying this for you, and I'm going to tell you how this happens. He said, because God knows your name. He knows where you were born. He knows your journey. He knows your family. And he has chosen you. And then he says, I'm praying that God will give you strength and reinforce you with mighty power in the inner man through the Holy Spirit. In the innermost being and in your entire human personality. That's what the Holy Spirit is meant to be. He's meant to permeate my whole self. Oh, just, just goes on. It gets crazier. That you would be rooted deep in love. That you would be founded securely on love. That you wouldn't be doubting the fact that God loves you. Firmly, safely, securely in that love. That you would experience it. You know, I think we're kind of afraid to talk about experiencing and feelings sometimes, right? Because uh, they can get us into trouble. But I'm just reading the Bible, so experience it. The love of Christ is not just knowledge. It's so much more than that. It's to be filled through all your being with the fullness of God. Have, you ever, have those words ever soaked into you? That you would be filled with the fullness of God? Now that's crazy, isn't it? Paul's praying it for us. To have the richest measure of the divine presence. You know, I had a friend that was going to a funeral, and she knew that there were going to be a lot of non-believers there. It was a, a, a funeral of a dear friend of hers who loved Jesus. And so she asked me, she says, Patricia, what do I do? What do I say at this funeral? Well, you know, funerals, they're tough, aren't they? Because I feel like a lot of times the message is kind of beating people over the head. It's like, I know I've got all this family here and all these people who maybe don't know Jesus, and this is a great time to just beat them over the head with, you know, death, and you're going to, you know, right? Okay, but anyway, that's an aside. And I said, you know what? Just go and be, right? Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just go and be who you are in Jesus. Just sit down beside someone and just be who you are in Jesus. 
And she knew that this woman had a relative who's an atheist. And she ended up right beside that woman. And they exchanged phone numbers at the end of the time, talking and just becoming friends. I don't know where that's going. But anyway, just be. Be flooded with God. God, would you flood me? Have you prayed that prayer lately? God, would you just flood me with your presence? Would you just fill me up so that I can't stand it? You know what I mean? With the presence, with the presence of Almighty God, with God himself. And then he tells us how this happens. Okay, I'm waiting for the formula, right? I'm waiting for the three easy steps. Tell me about a podcast to listen to. Tell me about, um, you know, something that, um, a book, maybe, a really good book. Somebody's written a really good book about how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The best, I'm just reading from the very best book. I am telling you about the book, right? And he says, to carry out his purpose, the power of God's Holy Spirit that is at work within me. This is the mystery, isn't it? I don't have a formula. I don't have three easy steps. What I'm telling you is that God's word, it wants to be active and alive in you. It wants to penetrate down to the innermost being, the deepest part of your soul. And God wants to pour his love out into you through his Holy Spirit. I can only tell you what I've done in my life. It's spending time digging in God's word, asking God to show me himself. Teach me about his Holy Spirit. I can't give it to you. I can't teach you. Half the time, I don't even understand it myself, right? I'm reading through these passages thinking they're so outrageous, and they are. This freedom Jesus talks about, but it's the power at work within you. Just like Abraham, God didn't say, now go do these things and I'll meet you there. No, and see how you do. God said, I'll be right beside you. We're going to walk three days. I'm going to show you where to stop. I'm going to show you where to build that altar. And I'm going to be right there, right there in the middle of whatever fear, whatever confusion, whatever's happening in your life. That is the ministry of God's Holy Spirit. And that is the work. And let me tell you, if you ask this, if you pray this prayer, you better be ready. Because you know what God says? He says, it's going to be beyond anything that you would dare to imagine. It's going to be beyond anything that you would dare to ask. It's going to be beyond anything you are thinking. Because you see, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I wouldn't write my story this way, right? Who would write a chapter on cancer? Who would write a chapter on a fire? I got some really good thoughts about chapters. And so if I'm in charge of the story, it's going to look really different, right? God is writing the story and it's going to be beyond, but it's going to be filled with joy. You see, we have an idea about what it means to be blessed, don't we? In our world, in our society, the American Christian has this picture of being blessed. Someone that's got the good stuff, isn't it? 
I mean, if you're pleasing to God, you're going to have the good stuff. And it can be good relationships. I mean, it's not just stuff, but good things, right? And I'm going to get a good job, and I'm going to have a family, and I'm going to have good stuff. But you know what? The context of the Sermon on the Mount, those who are blessed, right? Those who are experiencing the matchless grace of Jesus Christ are those who are mourning and grieving and thirsty and seeking and searching. Those who might have been ex- been rejected or wounded or harmed by others. That's the context of being blessed. And so Jesus says, if you ask for this, you better be ready because I'm going to give you more than you could ever, ever imagine. And I just want to say, five o'clock, this is what has happened in my life on the journey of cancer. It is something I could never, ever have imagined. It is a chapter I would never, ever have written. In fact, I have a friend who had breast cancer, and one day she said to me, a close friend, she said, oh, Patricia, you would never have cancer. Hey, I'm one of the healthiest people I know. I run eight miles once a week. I mean, I, we eat healthy. I mean, we're not perfect. Okay. But um, I would never write this chapter. I would never have written this way. When I discovered this tumor, a doctor discovered it <clears throat> in a routine exam. Okay, call me clueless, right? And... I needed to get a diagnostic mammogram to get a diagnosis of whether it's cancer or not to, to start that process. I could not get in for a test for five weeks. Hospital system backed up, clogged up. I could not get in for five weeks. So I left the doctor's office with that information. And I had to make some decisions about what I was going to do with that information. Am I going to go home? And am I going to drop this bomb, right? Cancer's the bomb, right? Isn't it? Am I going to drop this bomb on my husband and my family? Hey, I might have cancer, but I might not. Okay, that just feels so unfair and so cruel to me. And so I went home and started thinking about this information. And at that time, this is October of 2021 early October, and I, there are so many good things happening in our life. And Dan is busy, and he's working, and he's so happy. He's the relentless learner, right? He's just out there relentlessly changing the world. And we've got all these men who are coming for to our home for this meeting that has been set up It's a a once-in-a-lifetime event with men that he discipled 40 years ago. And I'm hosting it, and I'm doing all the meals, and we're sharing and ministering to these men, and I'm thinking, I'm not going home and dropping this bomb. This husband of mine loves me for 40-some-odd years, right? And this is going to devastate his life. And he's not going to be able to think about anything. 
And it's going to dominate everything, right, when you tell someone that. And so I went to God, and I started thinking about this, and I started running. And every morning I got up for the next six weeks. Now, I'm not going to tell you this is the right decision, okay? I'm just telling you what I did. And I got, I got out on my trails, and I just unloaded on God every single morning. Because I'm in the uncertainty. I don't know. And yet in my heart, I knew. I don't know. Does that sound so weird? You must think I'm so weird. It's like, I, you know, doctor, I, I had two doctors involved, and, you know, they would say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you had the COVID vaccination. It caused some swelling. We've had that happen. This doesn't have to be cancer, yada, yada, yada. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. This is cancer. I, this is cancer. But I'm still in that uncertainty. And so I'm out there on my trails, and I'm talking to God every single morning. And I mean, let me tell you, the entire human personality, you don't want to know about it. And I am telling God all the things that I'm feeling. Everything that you think, you don't even know what you think about cancer until this hits you. And suddenly it just all surfaces. Death sentence. I mean, you know, the worst of the worst, right? And so I'm out there on my trails and I'm talking to God about this. And uh, I'm being totally honest. And from day one, God began to speak. God's Holy Spirit running beside you. I don't expect you to run this race without me. I'm right here right now, Patricia. And the things that began to emerge, God said to me, this is not punishment. This is not a result of your failure. This is my will for you. All the days of your life have been appointed by me. They are all written in my book. And this is my will for you. And this is my path for you. And so I argued with that, right? I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to talk about it. You're going to talk it through. You're going to be sharing your fears. It's all, it wasn't just this to do, do, do conversation, just like John 13 through 17. It was, man, it's weaving all over the map. And God is speaking and I'm speaking and the fears are coming back in wave after wave. And I just am listening to God's Holy Spirit. And he is saying, I promise you, this is for my glory. I promise you. And then the word that stood out to me was surrender. Will you surrender to this chapter in your life? No! <laughs> right? I mean, okay. Well, let me think about it. What could we talk about it again? What could we rehash the same fears again? You know, every single morning, things would come back. Questions would return. New questions would come. Six weeks, you guys. Six weeks, every single day. But you know what? I would come off that trail, my dusty roads, and every morning I would come in and I knew God had met me there. He didn't take the cancer away. He didn't solve it. 
I would still call my doctor and say, hey, look, I really need to have this test. I mean, this is, this is tough. Nope, sorry, no way. But every morning God met me there. And every morning he began to speak this message. I am going to change your life. And I am going to change your family. And I am going to change the lives of other people that you come into contact with through this experience. And that's my promise. And you can count on it. And no, right now, you don't know what that looks like. And you don't have any idea what that means. But I promise you that this is for my glory. And will you surrender to my will? Will you be content in your earthly circumstances? Will you enter into this tranquil state of being, this tranquility of soul, where you are assured that I love you, where you know you are mine and I am yours? Will you let me give you that, where there's absolutely no fear from me, whether your life is long or short from this point forward, there's absolutely no fear of me. And you can say anything you want to say to me, Patricia. Just say it right here, right now. Let's talk it through, just like with Abraham. I'm listening. I'm okay with it. I can handle it. And will you accept, will you surrender right here, right now in these circumstances? I'm just going to tell you, this is the invitation of John 7.50, Luke, Luke 7.50. Into freedom. Into that freedom from all these distresses. Into that relationship. I can't do it for you. I can't show you how. I can encourage you in God's word. I can tell you the passages Study them, memorize them, find somebody in this room or at your campus. Say, come alongside me. Let's do this together. I have a group of little disciples. We're all little. I'm one of them. We're all disciples and we are journeying together. And they know the ins and outs of me and they know my blundering and they know when my faith fails. Do I, I don't have absolute faith. I made that clear, didn't I, this morning? I'm not standing before you as one with absolute faith. I'm a work in progress. But let me tell you, the joy that I experienced was like no other joy that I have ever had in my life. And I'm telling you the truth. And I didn't make it up. And I didn't make it at all myself. It is the power of God at work within me. And there is no formula. There is no strategy. There is no podcast. It is you. It is God. It is his word. It is someone alongside you. Walking this dusty road with you. It is asking the hard questions. It's bowing down. It's saying, Lord, I am yours and you are mine. And you know, when I shared about Annie, and the darkness after those days when she had been harmed. There were days when I just was on my face. 
And what I said to Kai, I don't know where you are. I can't even fathom this. All I know is that I have no other God but thee. And so if I think I'm going to go somewhere else, I have no place else to go. And so I'm yours. And he has promised me, I mentioned that verse from Hebrews 13, I will not, I will not, I will not relax my hold on you. Jesus, we just bow our heads and God, I just pray for every single person in this room that you would work through something I have shared and that, Lord, you would speak to their hearts, that whisper in their hearts of what exactly what they need to hear. Lord, you have invited every single one of us into this place of freedom, and it only comes through the power of your Holy Spirit. And he honestly is, is a part of the Trinity that we just don't always understand. And we can't see him. And we can't touch him. And we just don't know. But you have promised he lives inside of us. And so we bow down and ask you right here, right now in this moment, show me, Lord. Show me the way. It doesn't have to be a burning bush or thunder. That whisper in my heart. And when I can't hear that whisper, keep me in your word, listening to your voice. Hold on to me and lead me into that kind of relationship with you. And we know that that is your will. And so we ask you, Lord, to accomplish that, to give that gift, that treasure that you've already given, but give us the ability to understand it. The treasure that was sent from heaven, the Holy Spirit, after Jesus died on the cross for us. Amen.